0: Sorry, James just uh, dropped out. Did you finish the the quote, James?
1: Um, no, I did. I did finish the quote. I was hoping one of you guys was going to chip in and say, you know, that that's um, yes, geez, that's a that's still a pertinent point um, today,
2: James.
0: well <laughs> that, that's an interesting point. Yeah, and I and I think that's
2: still really relevant. Yes, I think it too is relevant. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thanks to Crymalt Malt and a refreshing Christmas break. This is Radio Brews News. My name's Pete Mitchum. I'm your host, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the microphones both the current and former or founding editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard and James Atkinson. Matt, welcome back. Happy New Year, Prof. No, no. You know that meme where uh, Batman smacks Robin upside the head? Yeah. After about the 7th, you don't say Happy New Year.
0: But this is the first time we've spoken this year, so... so
2: yeah, so you, so you do what I, I just did and you say, welcome back. There's got to be rules. There's got to be protocols around this. People just don't know, don't understand, you know, common decency. Culturally or otherwise, where's that written? Well, what day do you
0: take your Christmas tree
2: down? <laughs> Sixth epiphany.
0: My, my rule is you take it down on the 1st of January. Why is that? Hey, Prof, I think this is technically what's called a rabbit hole, <laughs> and, and far be it for me to sort of, you know, not go down a sideline... But let's not go. Yeah, like
2: let's James, welcome back.
1: <laughs> yeah, starting the year as you mean to go on, fellas. Well done.
2: <laughs> Best wishes for a prosperous twenty eighteen, Prof. Were you just listening to the conversation? Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep it tight. This week on Radio Bruges News, in a fun-packed episode, um, which has started off on the right foot already. Um, clearly, in deference to the uh, stature uh, with which Radio Bruges News is held. Um, Everyone decided they would not create any news while we were on holidays, which was, I thought, very um, nice of them to do that so that uh, we can kind of ease back into the year for our listeners. Um, So we'll be looking at, in no particular order, uh, Brett J Stubbs and his brewery list. Just how big is it? Um, Tap rooms, are they killing the local bar? Uh, We take a quick look at Angry Cock, if for no other reason that it allows us to use the phrase Angry Cock, and Mokyu. Where are they now? This week, uh, Brett J Stubbs posted his um, brewery list update and um, it all goes well for the future as far as uh, independent craft beer and beer generally in Australia goes. Well, I think we had quite a few suggestions from readers
1: that have brought it up to a provisional final tally of 49 and I suspect that probably there'll be a couple that'll get added down the track when Brett does his research at the you know half half-year mark um just because sometimes it's a bit hard to to find out whether a brewery has actually started brewing by that date for commercial sale Um, and as we know brett's a real stickler about that drawing a line in the sand and saying this is what must have actually happened for this brewery to be counted in the tally Um, so that 49 breweries that we've currently got compares to 55 openings in 2016 um, and fifty fifty seven in 2015 and then I think there was forty odd in 2014 so the high high water mark was um, 20, 20, uh, 15.
2: James and Matt I guess you know for for every upside there's a downside do we have access to the breweries that uh, perhaps have fallen by the wayside?
1: that's a much harder thing to keep tabs on than um, the openings are because when you know with the openings you've got things like liquor license applications and uh, planning approvals, and um, people are generally very quick to tell everyone on Facebook what they're doing when they're opening a brewery, but much less likely to do the same when they're closing. Um, so, in terms of closures, I've you know a couple of people have been asking us, you know, how many closures were there during the year, um, and I've asked a few of those people, well, do you know of any? And no one's given me any answers. The only one that Brett had recorded was the you know the obvious um, Napstein closure last year but then i don't know whether with the way that brett counts his brewery numbers if they sell their kit to another startup somewhere else he might call that they might cancel cancel each other out
0: that's where it gets really confusing because our list has been compared to a another um web list that is almost uh, 50% higher um and seems to include you know people who have the intention of opening or you know they've created a brand um and a website suddenly they're brewers irrespective of whether they've got stainless or whether they are contract brewing or vanity brewing um and it, it just doesn't seem to to matter so we obviously had the big closure um in terms of a brand last year which was brew cult um it closed down but you know then there were, I, I think that list had what, nine or ten other breweries had closed down one of which was st anu which yeah it was a shame to see them go They've sort of been around for quite a while, haven't they? They've had such a big tap presence recently as well. You know, when, when was the last time you had a Sunano beer? James, stop giggling. <laughs> <laughs> but then there were, you know, seven or eight breweries that I'd never heard of because they were, I, I don't know that they were physical breweries. And, you know, I, I posted in Facebook um, this idea that, you know, our list doesn't include contract, gypsy and vanity brewers. And vanity Brewers is a term that I've used for a while, but a lot of people commented on that they hadn't heard it before, um, and it's you know just basically people who like the idea of having a brewery and you know seeing their brand on tap somewhere. But you know whether they just go to the local brew for you, for example, you know they, they go to the effort of getting an excise license, they go to the local brew for you, you know brew a couple of fifty liter kegs, um, sell them, decide well okay I've had enough fun, you know I, I've had my beer on tap, my mates have given me a bit of a slap on the back. Um, but you know this brewing game is pretty hard I'll stick with my day job and then they fold and to me that adds absolutely nothing to the brewing industry Um, and it doesn't give any indication other than you know maybe it's a hype indicator or you know a bubble indicator that the more of those that we see the more we realize just how overheated the market is so I mean I think Brett's Um, way of calculating it you know you actually have to not only have announced an intention you know started installing a brewery but you actually have had to have brewed because we've seen a lot of breweries that haven't brewed for 18 months after they've uh, had their kit installed and some of them you know it's almost like vaporware
2: yeah and it's certainly you you made a good point there Matt that it's the capacity to brew is probably uh, the best indicator of um, a where we're at at the moment so in, in terms of a you know a volumetric Kind of measure uh, but also in terms of you know what we do what we need to grow because you know if we sort of say okay we're five percent seven percent ten percent whatever we are um you know could we double it tomorrow no without more physical breweries we, we probably couldn't or without um current breweries putting in a, a a new uh tank farm
1: yep i think that um you know one caveat about the way that brett does it is just that you know it, it's really looking at numbers of breweries and we don't know we, we often don't have detailed information about the capacity of those new breweries. Um, and, you know, there are some of them that are very, very, very small um, kits. And then there are some that are, you know, massive. Um, you know, two of them that were counted last year were the new Newstead and, and um, Green Beacon breweries. So I guess the number of breweries is one, you know, one read on what the market's doing, but... Um, if either of you want to go and do a survey of all of those, all of those new brewery openings, what? and find out exactly how much their capacity is, then we'd be what able to get some more detailed information.
2: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Hey, uh, James, uh, nice little segue. You just mentioned there uh, both Green Beacon and Newstead, which Matt, I guess we would call, uh, are they breweries with a tap room or are they brew pubs that have a production brewery attached? Or um, I'm saying this by way of uh, getting into your the article that you shared with us about um, tap rooms in the US, which are possibly killing the local bar.
0: Yeah, well, to answer your question, they've both gone uh, very different models. Both of them opened with brew bars uh, within 500 metres of each of them and uh, both built production breweries. Uh, Green Beacon went to the outer suburbs of Brisbane with their large production brewery um, that is pretty much production brewery only. They do do some pop-up bars there from time to time, but uh, Newstead went the other way and uh, created a, a production brewery in a brew pub, so they still see, you know, self-retail as being a big part of their um, model. Um, but yeah, both of those have brew pubs, and that highlighted the the article um, that, I, that I'd that i saved. And, and, you know, again, I, I think we finished last uh, year's show with me uh, getting out of you guys I was right about something. Um, I, I can't say I'm right about this, but th- this is something I flagged probably 12, 18 months ago, um, and have talked about a few times, about whether or not all of these... Brew bars are going to have effect on pubs and small craft beer bars that gave rise to craft beer in the first place, you know, that were the first places to, to really stock it. Um, and this article appeared in the Washington beer blog, uh, com, It's in the show notes. Um, but it, there's a, a recent study of drinking habits in major U.S. cities showed that the good old-fashioned neighborhood bar is suffering at the hands of the local brewery taproom. The study was commissioned by Miller Coors. Need to look a little bit more into that because whether Miller Coors, which doesn't actually own its own tap rooms, but relies on these bars, um, and whether there's a little bit of self-interest in it. But um, they've commissioned a study, obviously, because they're interested in you know, looking at the future. And uh, uh, an estimated 9% of overall bar traffic is now moving through brewery tap rooms. And as I've said for a little uh, while, unless, you know, if if that's the figure, you know, unless we're seeing 9% more people going out to drink, that 9% is coming out of traditional bars and, you know, um, pubs, which, looking at the margin of most of the pubs that we're seeing, um, you know, if they suddenly lose 9% of the patronage, that can suddenly put them from viable into iffy and if iffy into... uh, no longer viable um so yeah no, i just thought it was an interesting study and you know it's, it's not a bad thing
2: i look at our uh, our christmas drinks trip just before uh, in the middle of december um when we visited some brewery some breweries and some brewery tap rooms but we also visited a pub or two is that unusual i mean uh, uh, that was obviously you know an itinerary that was that was kind of planned out but to people do you think you know getting together and saying you know let's go out is that they want to drink a particular brand of beer or they want to drink well i don't know what i want to drink but i want a range of styles therefore i can go to a brewery that might have five or six different styles all under the same brand or i can go you know a block down to a local bar that has the same offering but all from different breweries
0: i i think it's just part of the entertainment you know for a long time um, i remember a quote from the head of the new south wales hotels association probably eight or nine years ago um that when pokies were big, people were going out to pubs for pokies, and the publican didn't care. You know, he just gave no thought to his food or his bar list or his tap list because he was driving, making the cash through the uh, pokies. And suddenly, pokies are on the nose, or people are going elsewhere. Suddenly, you know, he's turning around, and there's no one in the front bar because people aren't there drinking beer. Um, you know, we go to these venues not just to drink, but for a whole range of different reasons and drinking in a you know I think back what 15 20 years ago when there were all of those ice bars that sprung up and then disappeared just as quickly where you would sit in a fur coat and drink vodka vodka on a bar made out of ice um, which was just a gimmick Um, and some of them last longer than others and I think to some extent craft um, uh, brewery bars are gimmicks and you know uh, unfair term but that is the 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 fashion you know it's it's nice to sit in the place that makes a brewery and the you know instead of having plasma screens and pub tabs you've got stainless steel and you know brewers milling around and uh you know that's just the fashion.
2: James is it like and and I ask you this because um in your previous um working life you sort of I guess were across uh, a a broader range of, of I guess more mainstream sort of uh trade, is it a little bit like drink-driving legislation sort of came in and therefore we, we changed our habits because we thought, well, rather than drinking out, we will drink, you know, off-premise. We'll drink at we'll drink at home a little bit more. Is it just another one of those sort of, I guess, like a trend? Do you think? Um, well, I think it.
1: I think it is a trend, but I, I don't see it. I, I kind of agree with Matt that there is just there is a bit of a novelty about some of these new places. Which you know, some of the some of the tap rooms out there are pretty basic in, in terms of places to go and enjoy a drink there. Um, aside from the, the novelty of the fact that you're drinking the beer that was brewed in, on site. Um, you know there are a lot of nicer pubs and there are a lot of nicer bars or restaurants to hang out in than some of the tap rooms. Um, so there, I, I agree with Matt to a point, but you know I also think that um, there'll be a lot of them that'll be here for a long while. And that's when looking at the example of um, you know our our tour around Marrickville in December, uh, we had lunch at the Henson, and I think that's that's you know none of the tap rooms that we went to actually do food. Um, and so the Henson's sort of got that differentiator in that it's got, has a really fantastic menu. Um, and also it really caters for families and has, you know, kids play areas and all these kinds of things. Um, and you wouldn't really take your family to, to any of those tap rooms either.
0: But that's, that, that's a good point uh, you make, James, but I, I guess that's playing into it is that, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen a... Um, you know Henson that has the play area outside for kids and you know all, all of the, the nice attractions that make you know when we were there um, you know there, there were whole groups of mothers uh, with their kids which isn't what you would typically associate with uh, with, with a pub um, and in Brisbane we've got places like the Alliance and the Port Office that you know they don't have plasma screens they are almost restaurants that Operate out of a pub that I wouldn't even call it a gastro pub because it is primarily a restaurant and function space that operates in an old school pub and that's going gangbusters as well. And so we are seeing the hotels to compete with the attraction or the lure of brew pubs having to change their offer and make sure that they are keeping abreast of what people want as well.
1: Um, yeah, and I think, um, you know, I suppose for, for pubs, really. Um, breweries is the next thing to follow um, you know, small bars because that that was something that you know when that legislation changed in Sydney, the amount of opposition that pubs um, had against um that was was massive. They fought it tooth and nail. Um, and the um, you know the 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 president of the AHA New South Wales at the time famously said that. You know that no one wants to no one wants to sit and drink Chardonnay and read a book and gaze in each other's eyes. It's pie <laughs> in, the pie in the sky stuff. It's not what Sydney wants. It's one of my favourite quotes ever. It's hilarious. Um, but what what happened when that legislation changed was that pubs had to lift their game and and um, provide um, experiences that were as good or better than what small bars um, did. So you know that's one positive is I think that you know it does it has meant that a lot of these pubs have to you know give a really good beer selection just to reduce the um you know the chance of people leaving to go to a to a tap room or or whatever the case may be um yeah so you know look it's just another another element of competition i think it's probably good for good for the drinker um but it does make life harder for the pubs
0: and that's where i think it's uh, your know, survival of the fittest james you know like it's that those evolutionary pressures that pubs do need to uh you know catch up with what people want and i think that's a, a great advantage to small independent brewers and you know it, it, it that argument that we've had in the past about tap contracts outlawing tap contracts isn't going to be what gets more beer on tap it is consumer demand and the more people who are exposed to great beer at brewery tap rooms are going to expect that at the local pub um which you know it can only be a good thing for you know the brewers that are producing great beer then they can uh, wholesale it.
2: Yeah. And I think the underlying feel good factor, Matt, is that um, no matter where they're drinking, clearly it's um, people are drinking local, So, which we've been banging on about for uh, quite a while now. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And uh, j- just to go back to that article, the uh, one of the comments, you know, Bart Watson, who's the economist for the our Brewers Association made the point of saying that the Brewers Association is monitoring this and, uh, you know, they're building evidence that suggests that some of the taproom volume is new demand, so that was answering my question, and new occasions that wouldn't have gone to a traditional bar. Um, you know, people obviously did want to go out to a nice space and have an experience, but they never found that the pub was the place to do that. So, you know, hopefully that is, uh, means that it's not going to kill local bars, but, you know, it's
2: it's providing new audiences uh, access to beer. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of angry cocks, James posted an article uh, about a advertising watchdog panel received a complaint uh, in December last year um, complaining about the name uh, angry cock because the complainant, uh, quote, um, said that, quote, it immediately brings to mind rape and is incredibly disrespectful when society is strongly advocating against violence towards women. Um, the complaint was dismissed. James, we can probably put a, a picture of the um, of the said packaging on the uh, in the show notes. It's quite clearly um, a rooster's head with the wraparound word, wording "angry" at the top, "cock" at the bottom, um, which apparently, according to the uh, the, the owners um, or the, the producers of the of the cider, uh, was named after a particularly aggressive rooster that was owned by a family member.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure that's true, but I don't think that when they came up with that name, there would have been anyone who didn't realise that there was that there would be people thinking it was a double entendre of some kind. <laughs> a secondary, a secondary uh,
2: connotation, do you think?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's. Um, uh, but then the the complainant who took the time out to to write a back and then made the comment that if the word cock is to be used, then friendly cock or respectful cock <laughs> would be more appropriate. Um, you know you almost have to ask yourself whether, whether that's a, a gr um, but of course what as often happens in these situations the fact that they've they've taken the, the time to complain about it has brought it in front of way way more many people than than would have ever ever heard of it before and actually served to just give the brand more publicity
2: well and and is that perhaps uh, behind it do you think like if you if you were going to start up a brand would you was is the first thing you do is uh send in a complaint about the name of your own can you do it anonymously or does it have to be you know sort of uh notary public um or you know jp signed off or it's a good question <laughs> yeah because uh, it's it great really marketing isn't it we're, we're talking about it really make could
1: really make people's lives difficult if you started complaining <laughs> about some of the stuff that's out there in the in the craft beer land. Exactly.
2: Hey, listen, while we're on it, um, talking about things that people talk about, we spoke with a few people. Uh, I think while we're on our our brews news trip, and I think from memory, James, you might have been at the launch originally of um, Moku, which was um, the Lion Lion Co's. Um, I guess on what. Uh, E-shop for their ranges of of beers, and we found out recently that uh, it is no more. Yeah,
1: um, that was pretty much twelve months to the dot that um, my, that Lion launched MoQ, um, which just sort of involved having some of their brewers curate the selection of beers that people could order online. Um, I, you know, I think. Uh, it just never really, fa- you know, never really got traction. You know, the online retail is a very competitive space. There's a lot of, you know, issues. Anyway, I think with ordering beer online, just terms of in terms of the expense of, you know, just the the, the uh, ship the shipping and and um, the fact that people have ready access to great selections of beers in retailers all over, you know, right near them these days. Anyway, um, I don't know. I guess priority as well as that. I just gather that. You know new people people come and go within a business like like line and priorities change and um it's gone the way of tacking an idea that lines come up with that's quite sort of out of the box and different but never really caught on
2: yeah and it's fair to say matt that it was um it was very good looking website i i I never used it myself, so I don't know how, I guess, user-friendly it is in terms of that, um, uh, what the marketing department probably refers to as fulfillment, which is the, you know, like the logistics side of things.
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, it was, I thought that the website was a little bit artistic um, and overwrought for a, you know, beer retail site. But again, I mean, the, the, the other argument, and I, and I can see the meetings, you know, having sat in a lot of creative meetings and batting ideas around and trying to sort of work out the best way forward. Um, you know, if they want to elevate beer and they want beer to be a little bit more, you know, seen as being a higher value product, maybe that was you know, a, a good thing to try. Um, so you can't fault them for trying it. I just always struggled and I went there a few times because there were beers like Emerson's that you could get there that you couldn't always get anywhere else Um, and some of the panhead beers when they first launched you knew you could get them there and some of the seasonals from White Rabbit Um, but when you go to the site and there's those beers besides James Squire's you know 150 lashes and you sort of think well how much are they really expecting to move? And does having 150 lashes on the site take away from the, the higher end stuff? Or do you provide a one-stop shop? So, yeah, look, congratulations to them yeah. for trying. Um, I don't think it was a, a disaster. I And let, let's face it, um, you know, as as beer lovers, we're more likely to criticise the big breweries for not trying stuff that I think it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit harsh to then, you know, laugh in schadenfreude when they try something and it fails because you know a lot of small breweries try things uh, anonymously and um, they they get to try it anonymously. Lion doesn't get to try these things quietly.
1: The other comment that I'd make is I I don't know um, you know how it was received by Lion's retail um, partners. So, you know, the likes of the big chains and all that type of thing, I'd imagine that there would have been a fair bit of um, consultation that had to go on before they could do that because it is it is a controversial thing for a for a large supplier to do to sell direct um, because it's sort of cutting out cutting out the retailer. Um, and it brought to mind, there was a very high profile one that happened when I was at The Shout a few years ago, which is Moet, Moet Hennessy, um, you know, which has whole whole bunch of wine and, and spirits brands um, began selling direct online and a lot of retailers just were were furious about it and, and delisted all the Moet Hennessy brands. And I remember a quote at the time um, from a retailer by the name of Mal Higgs, who's got a few stores in Sydney, um, who just made the comment that, you know, the issue of suppliers selling direct to consumers has been around for, for a long time. What has usually happened is that once a supplier recognises that they cannot do the job as well as a network of retailers, they have tended to abandon the practice. From a retailer's perspective, the issue really is one of principle. Why should he or she support a supplier who is actively competing with them for the same consumer?
0: Hmm. Sorry, James just dropped out. Did you finish the the quote, James? Um, no, I did. I did finish the
1: quote. I was hoping one of you guys was going to chip in and say, you know, that that's um, yes, geez, that's a that's still a pertinent point um, today, James.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting point. Yeah, and I and I think that's still really relevant.
2: Yes, I think it too is relevant. <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> in the garden, what a. Garden. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible.
1: I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest
2: until I hear three little words. You got mail, Matt. You you mentioned you're talking about um, Moku sort of being lion acting, kind of, I guess, anonymously. one letter that we did receive this week um, from a person who I, I I shall allow to remain anonymous, although, you know, let's, for purposes of the thing, let's give him a, a, an AKA. We'll call him Steve Jeffers of, um, of Gab's local tap house and stomping ground fame, um, who responded to our, our calls for um, a new segment that we're going to trial, called uh, well, tentatively titled "Angry Man Yells at Cloud." Although our good friends at um, Old Wives Ales have just brought out uh, "Angry uh, Old Man Yells at Cloud," so we may have to we may have to change uh, how we're going to go in terms of the the naming protocol. Uh, but I just sort of suggested that in terms of um, ridicule being a, a very healthy part of a um a society, um, that where we saw. People who perhaps press the send button um, in the comment section on a forum before actually engaging the brain in gear. Um, It it might be interesting to sort of to share some of those comments with our listeners, uh, but that we wouldn't sort of name and shame. Um, But Steve did send us a letter basically suggesting if they're going to comment publicly, we should name and shame them. What do you guys think?
0: Oh mean, look, I, I I don't. I mean, I, I I agree with Steve's comment to a point. I think, though, I mean, I, I, I don't want it to be a snarky, well, any snarky than it already is. I don't want it to be pointedly <laughs> mean. Um, and and a lot of the comments that that we've seen that have given rise to us thinking of doing this segment are uh, very much every man or every person comments um, that you know you you see over and over and over. You see the mindset, and it's just kind of holding that mindset up, um, you know, maybe a little bit too smugly um, for some, but, you know, it's just holding those comments up and, you know, giving people a chance to reflect on them. And, you know, like a great example, and if we can't use Old Man Yells at Cloud, um, can I suggest um, (laughs) it's good beer, Brent, as the segment instead? And, uh, you know, regular Facebookers may be aware of this thread. Stephen Beaumont, um, Canadian beer writer and friend of the show, posted... Uh, it looks like it's a untapped um, thread.
2: A review, yeah.
0: A review, and uh, someone called Brent. Um, we don't have a last name, uh, but uh, checked in and reviewed a Summit Brewing Company beer. Gave it two stars and said, "Oddly fruity, a bit tart, not fitting of a dark beer." <laughs> um, and you know, to to their credit, the Summit Brewing Company. Uh, chipped in very politely and just played with a straight, uh, straight bat and said, that dark fruit, bracket raisins, uh, comma fig, close brackets, comes from Belgian candy syrup, a traditional feature of this style. Cheers. Brent comes back with, well, then this style is gross and you all should have known better. <laughs> and some of the brewing companies went back with, it's a G- good G- beer, G- Brent. Brent. <laughs> yeah, it's a good <laughs> beer, Brent. And uh, so Stephen Wade himself so said, I'd love to see this become a meme. So maybe we can help uh, our little, uh, give it that little bit of a nudge. But yeah, the discussions in, in the comments after that again, and it never seemed to get personal. It never seemed to, you know, it was mildly mocking, as you'd have to say the comment deserves. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always a Brent, Pete Brown another good friend of the show also weighed in and said uh, you know just the misplaced self-confidence of you should have known better um, you know from somebody who is outside of the beer industry and it sometimes we make comments that we're just not qualified to make and I I, I guess that's the um,
2: the point that we're trying to make with the uh, with, with the column yeah, starting next week perhaps we'll, uh, we'll we'll see if we can get um, it's a good beer Brent uh, segment off the ground so uh, if you do happen to um, if you you know listeners out there if you if you're part of uh, groups that perhaps we're we're not um and and somebody does post something that's uh particularly humorous or um look, i've been in a few arguments or, or begun to get into verbal arguments with with, with people and and just given them a polite warning that it's best not to go into a battle of wits completely unarmed um but some people do tend to do it if you spot somebody who's done yeah. that um you're wasting uh, so,
1: your breath, uh, to be honest. <laughs> well, <laughs> people are going to do it anyway. I, I mean, the number of times we've been on here complaining about the, um, you know, just the, the how how bad the the level of intelligence is among typical people debating on the internet. It, 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 we do it every episode, and it's going to he- keep keep happening. And we may as well just enjoy it
0: and make an example uh, exactly. out of it. <laughs> At the very worst, we're going to enjoy ourselves. But you never know. Sometimes it's just like that little pebble you throw into a big pond the ripples can spread out james
2: also i don't think we're going to i don't think the segment's going to peter out any time soon i don't think we're going to run out of material <laughs> yes.
0: fair enough there was a comment um, that came in on insta on twitter today um, along the and the reason i went back to that one was because bats and balls podcast which i'm a, presuming is a cricketing podcast um, replied to coach calls time uh, Twitter handle. I don't think thirty minutes is too long. Obviously, there was a question about their podcast. I don't think thirty minutes is too long. You could run with ten minutes of quick tips followed by an interview, or do what at Osbry's News podcast, Radio Brews News does, and split your feed: two shows, one short sharp tips, and one longer interview. So uh, yeah, so we that was that was just nice that somebody who listens yeah. to a lot of podcasts uh, noted that as well. Thank we you, just We balls.
1: just, I just can't wait till we launch that short sharp tips one. That'll be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, speaking of short, sharp podcasts, um, the other thing I wanted to uh, let regular listeners know is we're going to be back once again uh, on the 27th of January for the Hottest 100 Countdown. James and I are going to be convening in the bar at Balta um, on the Gold Coast and broadcasting the last two hours of the Hottest 100 Countdown. And then half an hour um, after where we get the you know, sort of closure and discussion. So that'll be nice and short for you, James. Two and a half hours of live radio. The links will be in the show notes. Uh, we do have our... Uh, it'll be broadcast and you'll be able to listen to it on the Brews News website. But there's also an app you can download uh, for the program that we use. And the program is called uh, MixLR. You can get it on Apple and Android. Um, and just go to Ausbrew's News channel. Um, which we'll be embedding, uh, or you can listen to it uh, on your web browser. The great thing for those who haven't joined us on the live podcast before is there is a chat room, a live chat room. So if you are, um, and God knows why you would be on the 27th, sitting in front of your computer, Um, but the phone app also has the chat room as well. So you can sit and listen to the podcast while you enjoy some of the uh, best of Australian beers and uh, join in a a live discussion. We've got some great guests uh, lined up already. We've got Michael Cameron from Pirate Life. We've got Brendan Varus from uh, Ferrell, both of whom did very well last year, both of whom last year sold their breweries. It's going to be really interesting to see whether their sales affects their um, Hottest 100 results. We've got Dave Padden from Akasha, and I'm tipping Corbin uh, D to be up there somewhere, um, looking at getting uh, you know, maybe Ben Krause. But here's your chance, listeners. We've got another 12 days before, uh, well, by the time this goes up, it'll almost be 10 days um, before the show. If there's anyone you want to listen to, send us an email at producer. At Bruce News, and we'll get them on. Uh, otherwise, just uh, post a comment in the Facebook uh, notes about who you would like to hear from as you listen to the Hottest 100 on the 27th of January from two o'clock Brisbane time uh, and three o'clock uh, daylight savings time on the east coast.
2: And don't forget, if uh, assuming that this episode of Radio Bruce News goes up on time on Friday, you have only until midnight tonight to uh, get your votes in if you haven't already voted. In this year's Gabs Beer Insider Festival, exactly. hottest one hundred Australian craft beer poll.
0: And I should say, Prof. Ed, Ed, you, you obviously know this, but the listeners may not know this. Ed, you won't be joining us at uh, Balter, not because we don't want to have a beer with you, but because you are otherwise uh, tied up with your own hosting commitments in
2: Melbourne. I will be doing a. Um, I think it's the fourth. The fourth one we've done um, at the local tap house upstairs on the terrace, uh, the tap house in St Kilda. Uh, and yeah, having a bit of fun, giving stuff away, and announcing the um, the winners as they uh, are announced, as they're revealed. So yeah, look forward to it. Um, as always, get out there, and uh, we've said it once already today. We'll say it again: drink local. Um, really, it's it's just the best way to go. Thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News, and we shall see you again next week. As James rolls his
0: eyes, thinking we're never going to get any beer importers advertising on the podcast. <laughs>
2: Drink local and drink quality. <laughs> exactly. No matter where it's from, as long as the drink is just local. locally, locally for someone. Actually, Prof,
0: I'll have to dig back. I mean, it, it, it probably even predates Brews News, which is coming up to celebrating its eighth birthday uh, around about Australia Day, too. I'll look back and when I registered the Brews News domain name, but it was around about just in the lead up to Australia Day uh in about 2010 um but it was a little bit before then when you were blogging on uh beer blokes and i was blogging on beer matt that it was our new year's resolution i think that all things being equal drink uh drink fresh and drink local so uh there we go there is some consistency to our messaging or either that or we were just ahead of the
2: curve yeah or or it was just a fluke
0: (laughs) even the broken clock (laughs) is right twice a day
2: And we're out.